Welcome to Our Lord's Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit OLCC.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at OLCCOKC. We're in part 14 of our series in this amazing book, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's a book about who he is and what he's doing through his churches in human history. It's about the establishment of his kingdom. And today we're going to look at chapter 12, verses 1 through 18, if you want to open your Bible. And I mention that because... I've encouraged us in recent months to bring our Bibles, to have a hard copy of it. Again, you can look at it on your phone if you want, but I've encouraged people, maybe it's a first time, buy a study Bible. Get an NIV study Bible, a New English version, a New Revised Standard, and get a good tool like that so you can study and read some of the helpful notes because we're people of the book around here. We love the the Word of God. We love to dig deep into it. I've, I've said multiple times that the book of Revelation is inspired. It's the inspired word of God. It's the culmination of the biblical narrative. It's the end of the story. It's inspired revelatory history. And as much as anything, it fuels our worship and empowers our witness, especially through hard times. It was written for people going through tough times in the first century. We saw last Sunday... In Revelation 11, we looked at two witnesses, didn't we? And we saw that they symbolized the church, the prophetic church, and they were attacked, and the Lord raised them up like the Lord Jesus. And so this week, in light of Revelation 11, we're looking at chapter 12, and what we're going to see in chapter 12, we're going to look at three scenes in chapter 12. And we're going to see that in chapter 12, the message is God has conquered Satan. Let's say that together. God has conquered Satan. That's the message of chapter 12. And we're going to get into some of the details and different facets of that. But that is the essence of the message. And it will go on to say, along with conquering Satan, that God protects his people, even if they go through difficult times suffering like they did in the first century and like they have for 2,000 years, God protects his people. So we're going to look at chapter 12 here, and what we're going to see is that chapter 12 is the heart of the entire book. One commentator says this, in Christ, this is about chapter 12, God engaged Satan in the ultimate battle The redemptive triumph of Christ and his death and resurrection was the crucial defeat of Satan and the forces of evil. Yet for a time, the dragon vigorously pursues the people of God. Thus, there is a great time of suffering in the final days, which extend from Pentecost to the return of Christ. So really, we're halfway through the book, over halfway through, and this is 
the theological heart of the book of Revelation, what we're going to read today. We're going to see three things. We're going to look at the, the woman and the dragon in verses 1 through 6. We're going to look at war in heaven in verses 7 through 12. And we're going to see that war shift in verses 13 through 18. So I'm going to read again the entire chapter because it comes with a blessing. As we saw in chapter 1, we're going to read Revelation 12, 1 through 18. And you can listen for these three pieces that we're going to break down and take a closer look at. A great portent or sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pangs, in the agony of giving birth. Then another portent appeared in heaven, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Then the dragon stood before the woman who was about to bear a child so that he might devour her child as soon as it was born. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was snatched away and taken to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God so that there she can be nourished for 1,260 days. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back, but they were defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven proclaiming, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our comrades has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. But they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they did not cling to life even in the face of death. It's hard for me to not give a hallelujah shout right there. Rejoice then, you heavens and those who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you with great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Verse 13. So when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she could fly from the serpent into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time. Then from his mouth, the serpent poured water like a river from the, after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman. It opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon was angry with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her children, those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. Then the dragon took his stand on the sand of the seashore. This is the word of God 
the mind-blowing Word of God. So, Lord, we look to you. If this is the heart of Revelation, we just look to you. We humble ourselves before you and before your Word, and we ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. We depend on you to rightly divide Scripture and to hear your voice. So would you help us, Lord, have a little better understanding of this deep, glorious passage? Amen. So the first thing we see there in verses 1 through 6, that's quite a passage, isn't it? Quite a passage. This woman symbol, we're going to look at the woman, the dragon, and the male child here. And as I read this, I'm just struck by how this passage is like Amanda's vegetable stew. Everything is in it. And it is really good. There is choice beef and fresh vegetables and the best broth you've ever had. And you could point to that stew and say, well, that is meat soup, or that is potato soup, or that is carrot soup. It's all of those things. It is a bowl of goodness. The same thing with this passage. We'll find that there are certain places you can point and say, well, that woman is Israel. Well, that woman is the church. That, so we're going to find many, many facets and ingredients in this passage. We've seen over and over again that these symbols largely stem from Scripture. When it talks about the woman in verses 1 and following, being clothed with the sun, um, the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars. These come from Scripture. If you think about Genesis 3, a woman, a serpent, and a child are mentioned in that chapter. Well, the same thing, John, because these images are in his mind, the Lord quickens them in a vision, and he is seeing things that are related back to the Old Testament revelation, the Old Testament scriptures. It's interesting to note, too, in Genesis 37, you can go back and look at this. I'm not going to drill down into it too much, but Joseph has a dream, and in the dream, these figures appear. You've got Jacob as a son, and you've got Leah as the moon, and you've got the brothers as the stars. And so John is signaling here that the woman is coming from Old Testament people of God. The woman is crying here. She's pregnant. She's in the agony of giving birth. And the scriptures use this language to symbolize expectation. Something is about to be born. But there's great suffering as God is doing something new in the middle of God's saving acts. So we can look at this at great length, but I think at this point it's important to see that this woman figure is Israel, right? You can see that a little bit, can't you? But we'll also see as the passage unfolds, like the yummy stew, there are many ingredients here. The woman is Israel, and the woman is literally Mary, the mother of Jesus, who birthed the Messiah. And then later in the passage, the woman represents the church, the people of the Messiah. So it's all of those things and more, a multifaceted symbol here. The next figure that's introduced is the dragon. We've got three prominent figures here, the woman, the dragon, and the male child. But if you look, this is quite a sight. Verse 3, another sign appears in heaven, a great red dragon 
We've encountered this before, the beast from the abyss, seven heads, ten horns. It's a monster. That's the point here. And we can decode it a little bit. There's an image or two that I've put up here. You can look up and see. You've got the woman there holding the Messiah, representing Israel and representing the church and representing literally Mary, the mother of Jesus. And look on the left there, a seven-headed hydra, a mean monster. And the point of the description here is it has seven heads, ten horns. This is language taken from the book of Daniel. It just means that there's complete evil here. And what we'll find is that this dragon is trying to imitate Christ. And so Christ will appear at different points in the book with royal crowns and diadems, and this dragon is doing all that he can to imitate Christ, but his time is limited. But it's a frightening thing here. What color is the dragon? It's red. In the ancient mind, that would have immediately signaled something. It symbolizes the murderous nature of Satan. He is a murderer. Jesus said in John 8, he was looking at the Jewish leaders who were opposing him, and he said this, you are from your father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. So as the text introduces this dragon here, we know it has a murderous spirit. It's bloodthirsty. And the text will go on to explain more about that in a minute. The dragon's tail sweeps a third of the stars of heaven. And again, these have so many different dimensions, these symbols here. Some people have interpreted this as possibly the fall of Satan and his rebellious angels who went with him, something that's referenced in Isaiah 14. That could possibly be part of it. Another thing in Daniel chapter 8 is that the evil emperor Antiochus Epiphanes is symbolized here as well, a leader who sweeps a third of God's followers and takes them and persecutes them and tramples on them. I think it's both, frankly. I think it's safe to say that that symbol has different components to it. When I make a comment here, the murderous red dragon stands ready to devour the male child, doesn't it? If you look at the text here. Verse 4, right in the middle of it. The dragon is standing before the woman who is about to bear a child so that he might devour her child. As we see in the rest of Scripture, there are moments where this happens. Multiple times, infanticide, right? The killing of infants. Do you remember Pharaoh in the Exodus story? He killed all the male newborns in Egypt. In Exodus 1, we find that. Do you remember? In order to extinguish the people because they were growing too strong. Luke 4 talks about Herod. He heard the news that the Messiah had been born, and what was his reaction? Kill the male children. Kill them. I've got to extinguish what could be a rival king. Kill the babies. So friends, where we see infanticide, we can be sure that Satan is anxiously seeking to extinguish what God is bringing forth. You with me on that? So we saw it in Egypt, we saw it at the birth of Christ, 
and we see it now. There's the infanticide that's been industrialized like never before. Sit with that for a moment. Nearly 63 million in the United States alone, infants put to death. And I'm gonna come back and make some comments because we have some people most likely who've had an abortion. Is there grace and mercy? You better believe it. I'm gonna come back to that in a moment. But I just want us to linger with this here. This is the work of the red dragon. He's a murderer and he sees something that's coming. So he is determined to extinguish as many infants as he possibly can. Friends, nearly 19 million black babies alone in the United States. 19 million. What is coming? What is he trying to extinguish? Future leaders, future Christ followers that would fill the country, fill the earth. 1.7 billion worldwide since Roe v. Wade in 1973. 1.7 billion. This is appalling. If you haven't let it hit your heart, now's the time. It's absolutely appalling. It is the work of Satan. And he is a great deceiver and murderer. If you remember back in chapter 9, I mentioned that God was reaching out to wake up humankind. And we looked at a handful of things. Revelation 9, 20 to 21, if you want to flip over and look at it. And the text says that these people did not listen to God's wake-up call. And they did not repent of the works of their hands or give up worshiping demons and idols. They did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, or their fornication, or their thefts. So there's five things there. And I mentioned this a few weeks back. Revelation is going to give us a picture of what evil empires look like and what satanic spiritual forces do that work behind them. This is one of those moments. Infanticide is one of them. Amen? But also these five characteristics that I mentioned earlier. What are they? Revelation 9 through 20, 20 through 21, the worship of demons and idols. Murderers, including the murder of babies. Sorceries. The Greek word here, some of you may be familiar with. Pharmakia basically means a poisoner or a sorcerer who seduces people into illusions through magical solutions. Pharmakia, the fourth thing. Fornication, the Greek word is porneia. And it basically means the surrendering of your sexual purity. These are marks of what an evil empire pushes. The satanic forces that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6. And then thefts, stealing. So what I want us to do, especially over the next few weeks, is to use Revelation to learn to study these things and use it as a grid through which to view and discern systems and the individuals who lead them. Are you with me? So this was given to the first century church as a lens through which they could view the Roman Empire and those that led it, and they would have discernment 
And if they saw these characteristics, these things happening, they knew it was the work of Satan. Do we see some of these things in our country and in other empires? Yes, you do. I do. And the Lord's going to give us discernment in the coming days. Now listen, does God's mercy reach those who have been deeply involved in all of the things that I've mentioned? Yes, you better believe it. The church is made up of people that God rescues from such things. All six of these, God in Christ reaches in through the cross, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, through the gospel, and rescues people out of all six of these things. The Apostle Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 6. He mentions some of these things and others, and he says, to the church at Corinth, and such were some of you. The Lord says that to us today. He says it to me. He says it to you. Such were some of you. And I rescued you through my mercy, through my love, because I'm good. So here at Our Lords, we've said it before, but I'm going to say it again. We are the such were some of you community. That's us. What do they do over at Our Lords? God saves us. We are the such were some of you folks, and we invite you to join us because God is good and he's full of love. And his mercy is new every day. So if you're sitting there thinking, well, you have no idea what I've done. The Lord does, and he has mercy for you right now. That's who, that's who uh, we serve. He is a good God. Amen? So this woman gives birth to a male child here. It's the promised Messiah. And he is prophesied that one day he will rule all the nations. It's interesting, that word can also be shepherd. So he's going to shepherd all the nations with the word of his mouth. It's a, a prophecy from Psalm 2. And what happens here? The dragon is trying to devour the Messiah, which we saw in Luke. But after completing the mission of his life, death and resurrection, Christ is what? What does the text say? He's taken up into heaven. He's snatched away in verse 5. It's interesting because it doesn't give all the details of his birth, of his ministry, of his mission. But the point here is that God protected him. Even though he went through death, the Lord rescued him and gave him a name higher than all other names. He gave him authority because he completed his mission and he sits at the Father's right hand. The text goes on to say, verse 6, you see it there, the woman flees to the wilderness. The wilderness for these first century hearers, the first century Christians would have known that this was a good place. It was a place of refuge and intimacy, like it was for the people in the time of Exodus. God delivered them from Egypt, and then where did they go? They went to the wilderness, and it was there that the Lord met them and instructed them and gave them his word and changed them so that they could become his people. And so that's being said here of the new Israel, the church in the wilderness God provides 
as God has done before. Let's look at the second section here. How are we doing? Good? This book is immensely useful, is it not? I'm glad you're with me, I can tell. But I've warned you, there's some heavy moments in it. Truth is heavy at times, is it not? So here we could skirt around it and scrub it and put a little happy spin on it, or we can dig deep into it momentarily and say this is, we want God to form our hearts and our minds through this. We wanna be transformed. This is not a popular message, but it's a word of God. And so we listen and we are open and we seek in humility, Lord, let it shape us. Isn't that right? So the second thing here is war in heaven. Verses 7 through 12, spell it out. Satan is defeated here and cast out of heaven. War breaks out in heaven, doesn't it? Michael and his angels are fighting against the dragon and his angels. They defeat them, and Satan and his demons are thrown from heaven. It's interesting. Who's fighting here? Is Christ fighting? No, it's one of the Lord's angels. Christ has no equal. One of the angels actually does the work and whips him into shape. What we're seeing here at verse 7, this is the heavenly counterpart of the victory that Christ gained through his cross. So many different directions we could take this. Is this speaking of the earliest battle portraying the fall of Satan? Possibly. The text doesn't make it clear. Others see it as perhaps an, explana an explanation of why the persecution of God's people in the end is so fierce. Again, I think it's probably both. Are you seeing now how these symbols are laden with so many different meanings? And oftentimes people will say, well, no, it means this one thing. And the truth, it, truth is it means one, two, three, or four things oftentimes. It's the power of a biblical symbol. And that's the case here. This is prophetic language that uses symbols to convey things. Who else did this in their teaching? In the Gospels, Jesus spoke in symbols and prophetic language and in parables, and he would lay it out there, and people would try to figure it out, and they would say, Jesus, won't you just speak plainly and tell us? And he's like, nah, that's the way I'm going to do it. I'm going to throw a symbol into your midst and let you meditate on it and figure it out, and then people would debate, I think he means this, and he would say, yeah, that's right. I think he means this, yeah, that's right. Matthew 13 is full of kingdom parables. He does that so that you have to press in and depend on him to learn truth and wisdom, and the same thing is here. We don't just read it and go, oh, I totally figured that out. That's easy, thank you, check. No, we have to press in and say, Lord, what does this mean? And we have to interpret it with other scripture. So the key really is to understand here the force and application of this. And we said it early on. It's found in verse 11. Just look down at it. This is the force of the passage. They overcome Satan, the accuser, by three things. What are they? the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and because they were willing to give up their lives. This is the message. The intent of this passage, one commentator says, 
is to assure those who meet satanic evil on earth that it is really a defeated power, however contrary it might seem to human experience. That is the thrust of this passage. As I've been doing, I'm going to do this again. We're going to take 30 seconds so you can gulp, process for a minute, and then I'm going to come back and give you a a helpful word picture and analogy that illustrates the notion that the fact that Satan is defeated, but we're living in this kind of interim time. So take 30 seconds, we'll come back to it, and we'll wrap up in this third section. Meet and greet part two, right, Colt? Kind of helps me too, because sometimes that Spirit of God works through these texts and I'm about to come undone. This is good stuff. So we're looking at this second section. There's war in heaven, Satan's defeated, he's cast out of heaven. Really helpful word picture, an analogy that this Lutheran theologian came up with, and it's about World War II. Some of you have heard this before. Listen up, because this is really cool, very helpful. It illustrates exactly what we're seeing here in Revelation 12, the already and the not yet of the king and the kingdom. Some of you know this, Smokey, others. In June of 1944, the Allied troops stormed the beaches of Normandy in northwest France. And they pushed the German army all the way back to Germany. And this event became known as D-Day. But the fierce fighting continued for nearly a year, a little over 11 months, when the German army finally surrendered and ceased fire. And that event became known as V-Day in the spring of 1945. So friends, likewise, through the life ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the kingdom of God has decisively broken through into human history. The war's over, friends. It's game over. But the powers of darkness push back, and there are casualties, and we're in that in-between, that interim time of battle between D-Day and between V-Day. But friends, Satan is a defeated enemy. Can I get an amen? Satan is defeated. And I want us to live more like that. I was really struck this week. Do I live like he is under my feet? No. But will I in the, in the coming days? Yes. He is under our feet. He has been defanged. And he is under Christ's feet, and we are seated with Christ. We are powerful in Christ. Yes, we are broken, but friends, we have, as Sam was saying, authority. We're seated with Christ. We're filled with the Spirit of God, resurrection power, and he's overcome. Quickly here as we look at this, before Esther comes up and talks about our 
missionaries that are with us today. There's war not only in heaven, but verses 13 through 18. There's war on the earth. There's persecution of this woman and her offspring. The narrative continues here. And again, it's just shot through. These verses are filled with references from the Old Testament, particularly the Exodus story. So we look here, we see in verses 13 and 14 characteristics that are taken from Exodus. The Exodus is the background for this. First, in Exodus 19.4, God spoke from Mount Sinai to Israel and said this, I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And just as Pharaoh, who was the monster, the dragon of Egypt, he pursued Israel, and the Lord led them into the wilderness. And in the last days of intense persecution, the Lord will once again shield his people with his wings and empower them with the wings like an eagle, like Isaiah 40 talks about, to run and not be weary and to walk and not faint. So again, a beautiful reference here from the Old Testament. A second thing we see what happens. Not only does the the enemy try to devour, but look at verse 15. What happens here? Satan, the accuser, the devil, opens his mouth and seeks to flood out a river to sweep away the woman and her child, the church and Christ's followers. In the Exodus story, number 1632 talks about this. The earth swallows up the opponents of Israel, and the earth swallowed up via the Red Sea, the Egyptians. So very rich allusions here. God will take care of you. Just as he has before, he's going to do it again. There's another Exodus coming, and God will once again deliver and protect his people. Friends, there is a river that pours from Satan's mouth. I've called it crudely the puke of Satan. And it symbolizes in this text many things, but not only the desire to persecute and kill and extinguish God's people, but it includes false teaching. The first century readers would have known that. And for us, friends, it includes toxic information that pours from the dragon's mouth and saturates our culture, doesn't it? What do you let pour into your mind and heart, friends? The vomit of Satan, the toxic information that he loves to disseminate through media outlets that fuel fear, propaganda that comes through various media that hammers things like the races should be angry at each other. Whites, blacks, Hispanics, Asians hate each other. That is the river of satanic disinformation that comes from him. And we've got to resist. We've got to resist, do we not? Some of you are unplugging. I've unplugged at different times, and I've said, if Jesus is my president, he's the king, he is the one that I'm following, Jesus Christ as Lord is a political statement, I've got to back out of some of the puke of Satan that I've let wash over me. Do you? 
Where's your commitment? Are you more committed to Trump than Jesus? You more committed to Biden and Harris than Jesus? You need to repent. I've been doing a lot of it. Get out of the river that pours through the nations and pours over the church, trying to deceive us so that we put our ultimate allegiance somewhere else. Friends, Jesus is Lord. So if we think that whoever, fill in the blank, Democrat, Republican, independent can save you, then you need to get out of the river of Satan's information. And you need to get into the word of God. And we are called daily and we're invited daily to interact with the living word Jesus through his written word and to devote ourselves. Acts 2.42, what are they devoted to? The apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. We're devoting ourselves and getting out of the river of toxicity into the stream of God's truth and word and letting it wash over us like Ephesians 5 talks about. We're people of the book and people of the spirit and we want to live in the stream of God's truth and learn to wield the spirit, the sword of the spirit, the word of God. So friends, chapter 12 shows us that we're at war and you can't be Switzerland. Amanda and I were talking about that this morning. Someone said, if you try to be Switzerland, you've already lost. There's no neutrality. Friends, you're at war. You and I are at war. So it's time to give yourself to Jesus afresh and to his word. He's good, full of grace and mercy. Next week, we're going to look at Revelation 13. I wish I could say, come, because it's going to be happy and warm and fuzzy and ice cream cones and It's two beasts that emerge from the sea and the earth, but the Lord is giving us wisdom and discernment in this hour through his word, isn't he? So you can read ahead Revelation 13.